praying, we'll get started. Verse 8, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, uh, with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, that we can gather together as a church. And um, Lord, we pray that you would lead us and guide us into truth here. Lord, that you would just um, help us to understand your heart and to be receptive to that, to, to be under the authority of your scripture, um, but that we would have clarity and know what you're telling us. Um, so soften our hearts where they need to be softened. Open our eyes to see. Open up our ears to hear, Lord. And, and we just pray that you would um, just be moving in this place this morning. We thank you for our church family, this community that you've built and you're building. And we pray that you just bless, bless this morning, God, in every, every way. Lord, speak through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys may be seated. So yeah, obviously in reading that, you recognize this is a interesting text, most, mostly interesting since the 1960s and 1970s, uh, less provocative in other times for sure. Uh, and churches have been split on this issue, right? There's been a lot of splits and lines drawn based on the interpretations of these verses, um, and regarding women and leadership and the church. Uh, so it's like definitely worth taking a deeper look at and understanding. And I think there's some misconceptions that if you really read into it and you, you look at, at the text closely, it's, 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 it's really, really good. Um, and I think it's important to bring up hard things um, and to look at them. It's, I think it's good to vet our beliefs uh, especially when we find something that is troubling um, or like that we go like, wait, what is that? You know, or the, that culture would think it's troubling, I should say. Um, but we believe our faith has and will continue to stand in, in the midst of criticism and scrutiny and um, the outside's dissecting of the Bible. Um, it has for like 2,000 years and it will continue to do so. But it's important things to remember on difficult subjects because I think this is like a lot of times you'll get into these kind of subjects and these texts and, and they're like gotcha texts. Oh, see, look. Oh, see, look. And so Christians a lot of times don't know what to do. So here's some things I think that are important to remember when we're dealing with texts that maybe we don't fully understand or, or that people bring up and they have issues with. First of all, we can't bury our head in the sand. This is kind of like a, what the cults do. Right. If somebody disagrees with you um, too much and, and they start becoming a little bit persuasive, get away from them as soon as possible. Uh, you know, that, that's that kind of a thing. Right. Or someone in your family gets, you know, converted and leaves the faith. Get away from them as fast as possible before they affect you. Uh, as Christians, we don't need to do this. 
We, we don't bury our head in the sand. We need to have our eyes wide open because it's really important that we believe the things we say we believe, which is that God's word is true and it's applicable to all cultures. Um, next, we also need to be honest and humble, right? So we gotta be honest about what we read and humble in our interpretation. You know, none of us have got it all figured out, right? Um, you know, the, the prophecies have never been um, I feel like there's never been uh, a people who've been like, oh, this is exactly what's going to happen next, and it works. No. They're, they're usually, if you see the, the things that they thought were coming, way off. Even the idea of the Messiah, way off from the way Jesus would actually come. So we've got to be honest and humble with where we're really at, and we can't be lazy. We've got to dig in. You've got to do the work. If you have questions, ask, get into it. Become a student of it. Uh, if you, by the way, if you're dealing with any of this, bring, come to me. I'd love to talk with you uh, with other issues and stuff like that. But I thought that was important before we kind of get started. Um, reminder, this is a letter written by Paul to Timothy, who's minister, ministering in Ephesus, a vibrant, gnarly church that has shaken the core of one of the ancient wonders of the world, uh, the, um, the temple to the goddess Diana or Artemis. Um, there was a dynamic work that had happened, and yet uh, these false teachers had come in and caused all kinds of disorder. So Paul is reminding Timothy what the church is supposed to look like. And so uh, he started off the text, he's like reminding them to, uh, he's been encouraging them to charge the Ephesians to first pray for all men in every type of prayer, using every type of prayer you got. For kings, those in authority, uh, with the goal of living a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. So that's at the beginning of chapter two. Now, we, he kind of picks up on that theme again in verse eight. I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting. Wrath and doubting. So he says, I desire that men pray everywhere. Though it would be good for men to be stationed strategically throughout the city praying everywhere, what this is really mean is in the church. That in the churches, in every church, there would be men praying. Now you go, okay, that sounds pretty good. Uh, but there's context that's involved here. Uh, it's lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. That is what was happening. That these men that were in the church were not lifting up holy hands. The idea of holy is, again, dedicated, right? What's the difference between a plate and a holy plate? Like when you're dealing with uh, like temple language or tabernacle language, one has been dedicated to the Lord. The other one has not, right? So the idea of holy is dedicated to the Lord. The men that were praying were praying prayers of wrath and doubt. So Paul's saying when they pray, they, I want them to be lifting up holy hands, set apart that, that they would be different from the world, not dedicated to, to these angry, spiteful prayers. Angry, spiteful prayers do like major damage, both to you and to those, everyone who hears them. It's not like God's like, oh, well, I, shoot, I gotta answer them. But it's, it brings in an atmosphere in the church. And as Christians, we cannot be like out, outright pessimists because we know the best is yet to come. We know God wins. And we have like the game changer of God's miraculous power that, that can change your life from like 
going straight downhill to do a full-on 180 to like a whole new creation. So we always have hope because we have the hope of Christ. So angry, spiteful prayers, they do major damage. Paul is encouraging them to come with clean hands, believing that God can move. The idea of coming and praying with a clean heart and a dedicated hands, in a sense, uh, we find that in Mark chapter eleven twenty five 25 as well. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. We know that uh, God answers prayers kind of based on where we're at with him to some extent, right? That our prayers can be hindered by multiple things, unbelief, wrath. This is not where we need to be. It's not the place of Christians anyway. Prayers of wrath and basically are prayers of doubt, if you like boil it down, prayers of wrath are prayers of doubt. Prayers of wrath are, are ways to try to cope or to make do with uh, what is instead of praying for what should be. You guys have heard it said, I'm sure, uh, the enemy of good, or of great is good, right? So we, we try to make do. Wrath is trying to control the situation around you without actually redeeming it and making it right. Wrath is trying to use man's power to affect things without actually uh, trusting in God to do it. So uh, we need to be those who are willing to pray without doubt. God, we trust you. We believe you. We are under your authority. I don't need to control everything, right? And, and what makes us pray prayers of wrath often is when we are full of fear. Fear is what makes people act out more than anything else. It really is. And, and, and the, uh, again, I mean, say it, oh gosh, almost every week, but you've got to be careful with what's discipling us. If you're, if you're listening to fearful things, I heard a podcast this week and a guy said that the, uh, the media is the Bible for the fearful. It's like, it's like where people go. I don't know where to go. I'm going to go get, you know, more fear, you know. Again, not to be, because there's something about it that's like oddly comfort. It's like Stockholm syndrome with fear, you know. It's like, I, oh, no, I kind of need it, you know. So it's, and it's not like we're not informed. I'm, I'm 100% not about not being informed. But there's something about being so enticed. And then, then what comes out of it, this is how you know if the discipleship in your life is good or bad, is the fruit that it produces. If the fruit's not good and it's producing prayers, I'm praying, but I'm praying that God will strike everyone dead. You're like, <laughs> maybe don't do that. Maybe some, there's some other prayers, but I'm scared you might pray for me to die. Gary Brashear said that basically what Paul is asking the men to do is, men, stop the power games. Be known for your prayer. Don't do the power stuff. The power, don't make it all about you. Don't try to control everything. Men, stop the power games. Be known for your prayer. In like manner, verse 9. So guys, recognize this is connected. In like manner, also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Does anybody have their hair braided? 
Does anybody have any golden <laughs> Tori, last night we were playing Nerts, this card game, you know, and Tori was like, um, you could tell people this, but she's like, can I braid my hair tomorrow? She knew the text was coming up. I said, yes, you can. And so the question that was for men is put off your power games and pray. Uh, the, the, the sentiment here for women is women stop the pretty games, be known for your good deeds. And it's important to understand this context. It is not about braids. It is not about gold. It is absolutely about identity and attitude. And ultimately, it's about vanity. S.M. Baiza did a, a deep study on first century Ephesus, and he describes the women of the church showing off their riches with excessive luxury and licentious dress. Luxurious and licentious dress that emulated the Roman court. They were not just fashionable, they were extremely vain. And it would make their meetings a fashion show for the privileged. Could you imagine why that's a problem? For the, for the people who are coming in and, and those who are coming in and, and they just heard about Jesus and this is what they show up to see? This is what I have to keep up with? Of course, this, this is very applicable to our day. Not our church. There's no fashion shows going on here. Thank you, guys. At least we can't tell you you're in a fashion show, which is, I guess, kind of a slam. I'm sorry, but also good news. But, and this is not the only issue, but these were issues happening right then and there in Ephesus. This was some of the people that were involved. We had these, these men that were full of wrath and anger that were twisting things and they were, they were adding this weird little mad element to following Jesus. And you had these women who were all about themselves. They wanted everyone to look at them. They wanted everybody to know they were there. They wanted everyone to know they were better than them, had more money than them, had better standing than them. And so Paul addresses them directly, Right? This is not all that matters. It, women need to pray too, <laughs> right? And men, you don't know fashion shows. Which is funny. If you've heard, seen the uh, Instagram preacher sneakers, you guys ever seen that? Oh, painful. Like shows these guys who have like, it, it, it's, it's so, it's kind of messed up, you know, but they'll be like, it'll show a pastor with like $1,200 sneakers on. You're like, okay. <laughs> I didn't know they would cost that much. There's $60 for the Nike forces. Uh, but they're basically what they were saying was not that you, it's not, it's good to have good things. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it becomes a fashion show, this, it starts to alienate people. If I want to be like that, I've got to do that. There's nothing wrong with having good stuff. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But the idea is that this, that's not what this was about at all. So kind of gives you context. Then he says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to, t uh, to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Now we're really getting into it, huh? The word silence here is hesuchia. Yeah, there you go. That's pretty good, right? Uh, from pronunciations. Um, and it's the, 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 the word silence, it's, it could mean quietness. And it's actually used as peaceable in verse 2. It's the same word. You can look it up. It's the same exact word when he says that, that 
that you would, uh, in dealing with praying for authorities and rulers, kings and authorities, um, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. So the idea is, it's not just, don't ever say a word, be quiet, don't, you know, it's peaceable, okay? And if we know anything from this context, it's obviously that these women were not trying to just necessarily be peaceable. So there is a cultural context to it, but there's also a greater context to it that we see reaffirmed throughout the scriptures. So um, some believe, one of the reasons that they believe that this is said is, and it's actually kind of backed up in 1 Corinthians 14, is that men were on one side, women were on the other side. So the women were asking their husbands questions, and it says, ask him later when you get home. So that's what some people think. I don't necessarily know if that's what this is about. Um, yeah. The idea is that these women of this church that were unhealthy first needed to learn and be brought under authority. Let me tell you, you're going to hear the word like authority, and it's going to sound like a really bad word, but it is an essential word for everyone who's in Christ. It is not a bad word. The idea of authority is a God-given protection. We all have to come under the authority of God, first and foremost. We come under the authority of his word, in a sense. So the bigger issue is, in fact, authority, right? This is an increasingly hard pill for us to swallow uh, because we don't want to be under anyone's authority. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I don't want anybody, um, you know, to think that they're the boss of me, you know. No bosses, just, you know, we just all want to be free and do our own thing. But that is not working very well. God puts people in authority for good reason, right? Gosh, if we could just get rid of the police, crime will stop. That went really well, you know. The idea of authority is important, and we've got to understand that. Uh, our, and our ability, we might say, okay, fine. I'll submit to God. I don't want to submit to people. But our ability to submit to God is stifled by our ability to, or lack of ability to submit to those he's put in front of us to lead us. You know, it's interesting. God, in his wisdom and creativity, I mean, Wow, what an interesting idea. Decided to use other fallen men to minister to fallen men. So God puts people in your place. That's why when you hear, who's heard audible voice of God? You don't have to raise your hand. Not that many people have heard, like, God said this to me. And it's usually like, what did he say? (laughs) You know, that's important too, right? But generally, He speaks through his word, and often he speaks through someone like a pastor or a friend or a counselor who says the right thing at the exact right time. God uses people. So you put yourself under the authority of leadership, right? You put yourself under that authority. And it's not like an open-ended, you don't, it's not the same type of authority that you would have under God where you're like, no matter what you say, I will do it. You know, that, that would be okay. That's good with God. But as far as with men, mm, we've seen that go really, really bad. So it's not an open-ended authority, but it is coming under healthy leadership in authority. It's really important. It's never, to be clear, it's never 
submission to sin or corruption, but God placed authority. Uh, that that's, bears repeating when you talk about like the, the husband-wife relationship. Woman, submit to me. It's like, no, you are not someone that could be submitted to in this way. I am not gonna follow you to hell. I won't do it. So it's not submission to sin or corruption, but God placed authority. This is about order. And this order is actually only found, this, this headship, male leadership, authority in a sense, order is only found in two places in the world. It is in home life and it is in the church. It's not in everything. It is in home life and it is in the top leadership. I believe it is elder, male elder led. This would be like the, the, the pastor of the church. Women absolutely not only can be involved in leadership uh, abilities in the church. I think we'll, if you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you see women praying and prophesying. Women speak boldly and have opportunities to have ministry, but the position of the, it's God gave it that way. That's an order, it's order. And he's allowed it to be that way. And not only that, it's not like any man can do it. God puts certain specific men, males, who are qualified. And there's a list of qualifications that'll keep you up at night, you know, or me. <laughs> Distinct men set apart that God has put there, right? In the position of authority. It's important to understand this has nothing to do with value value at all, okay? We're all image of God. We're, none of us are greater than the, than the other in value, but God set up an order, and I believe that matters. Submission is absolutely essential to all in Christ. We've got to be those who can be under submission in one way or another. We're all gonna be submitting to one another in one way or another. And that's a good thing. It's, and it's so valuable. Let me ask you a question. Is, is the Father greater than the Son? Is God the Father greater than Jesus? Does he, you can answer. Is he? No, no, right? But what about authority? Is there, a, is there an order of authority? Yes, right? There's absolutely an order. Jesus submitted himself to the will of the Father. And what's the Holy Spirit's job? To glorify Christ. So they're submitting to one another, right? But there's an order. There's no difference in value. It's just an order. The idea is we all just stay in the lane God has given us, right? And that's, that's easy for you to say, you know? And I, I, I understand that. You know, I'm speaking from a position where you're like, yeah, it's easy for you to say that. Uh, but I'll share more in a second. I, I have some thoughts on that too. Um, and I, again, I believe this is speaking to male eldership, which we, the top women can and do lead in the biblical church. Um, Chuck Smith, form, you know, the, the founding pastor of Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, uh, he, he had um, uh, Corey Ten Boom come and speak to the church, he would have women speak at different conferences and stuff like, you know, it, it wasn't like he would, he's like, oh no, a woman's got it. No, it wasn't like that. But it was the idea was the top, top. And, and Chuck was very, very complementarian. Um, so actually some terms, complementarianism would be 
where you believe that it's male leadership. Um, there's kind of different parts to that too. But egalitarian is where there's no difference. And the idea, an egalitarian idea would be um, Galatians 3, 28, where it's like there's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, uh, male nor female. So all of it's kind of been wiped off, but we see a reiteration of this order. And it's actually established all the way back in Genesis pre-fall. So that tells us it's not like a fall issue, although it is more asserted after the fall. It's just the way God set it up, right? You guys know the image of God, male, female, that there is a better picture of who God is by marriage, in a sense, man and woman, that gives a better view of who God is. He's not like just a man. Like he, he encompasses like the whole thing. Yet, when we speak of him, what's, the pro, what's God's pronouns, right? He, him, his, yeah, okay. <laughs> but that's the idea. That's the way he set it up. And we gotta be into submission to that. And again, these, these, the issues we have is it's the wind of doctrine and, and the spirit of the age. We've gotta be careful, right? You can't rewrite everything for the last 30, 40 years. Now, by the way, I believe that women have been greatly stifled and abused even in church culture. I really do. I think they've been held back for no reason when they shouldn't have been. And, it's, and it was too much of a boys club in a lot of ways. And, and men have been hurt by that. I am a much better leader when my wife is, I allow her to like talk to me, which I do. We schedule in time. She sees things I don't see. She's got, you know, insights that I didn't, I don't have about that. And, you know, so it's good. We even like when we have like our, our staff meeting, it's, it, it's the husbands and the wives and the wives bring a lot to the table. I love that. And I think we need that. So, um, you know, if a guy's just the only one doing it, it's probably going to look very commercial and very <laughs> generic. Women bring the warmth and the, like, love and, like, the feel. Because women are generally more spiritual and, and connected. Women are the ones that blow the grading curve when you're in high school. <sighs> Why is the curve not helping me more? It's because there's women in the class. And they're smarter than you, you know? Like, that's not true for everyone, but, you know, studious Loving, you know, more likely to, to show the church. We got a great mix. Well done. But as far as the church goes, generally, there's a lot more women than men going to church. It's, it's, it's a known statistic. So it's not about ability. It's not about value. It's not about, um, yeah, it's just, it's just a God's order. And he knows what he's doing in that, Okay. Paul, in Romans 16, um, just to reaffirm that God absolutely wants to see women used in ministry setting, he, he commends Phoebe, Priscilla, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, you know, Priscilla, Mary and Junia, all of them, they're ministering, right? We, uh, we see Lydia in Acts 16 in Philippi. She's the one running it. Nobody, especially when no man shows up, you see God using women. You know, like that, he's like, okay, cool. Deborah, the judge, which is, which is, you know, that's what God does. It's, 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 
cool. He wants you. And by the way, Jesus did more for women and set up more for the liberation, in a sense, of women than anybody in history. Right? I mean, the fact that, that the gospel is recorded and, and that first eyewitness accounts are by women is, was crazy back in the day. Because women were not seen highly, which is tragic. Jesus set a totally different order. And so we want to we follow that, not the culture. We want to follow him. Verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. Here's the created order. Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. Again, order, not value. And uh, it's from the beginning. But it's strongly asserted, we see, in Genesis 3. Um, yeah, there's belief that Eve was taking the role of leader in the garden, um, you know, that she decided to go ahead and do it. Adam was dragging his feet, or he was doing whatever. And so she took the fruit, and he ate it too, right? But who's condemned for it? Who's the death in? What's Romans 5 say? Our death is in Adam. Who is held responsible for it? Adam. It's Adam that is held responsible for it because of his lack of leadership, right? And so there was a, there's a part to that where Eve, Eve is absolutely found guilty, but the, the, the heavy burden and the, the one that took the major fall for it was, in fact, Adam. But God set it up in this way. He ordered it in this way. Male and female, again, gives more of a thorough, complete view of who God is. And we, so we got to be careful. We want to, we wanna, you know, bring, bring it all in, but we also want to keep it ordered just the way God said. Choosing to make, not, we want to make sure we're not choosing to make the Bible fit our culture. We want to continue to trust in his enduring word. One of the more popular views um, in dealing with this was the Galatians, obviously. Uh, most pastors I know that are egalitarian and believe that they, they go straight to Galatians 3, uh, 23. Um, one of the views, though, is, is that there's the progressive, you guys have heard the progressive uh, theology view, is that it's been progressively getting further and further away from patriarchy. Okay? Maybe you've heard that or not. These are all trigger words, you know, now. But they were, they were like, they have that God dealt with what you had to deal with. Oh, this is what we got to deal with. All right, we'll start with patriarchy and all this, you know, abuse and all this, and we'll slowly work it all on the way down. And as we continue to progress, it'll make more and more sense, and it'll be better and better and better and better. Um, the problem with that is things are reaffirmed in the New Testament, right? So what do you got to do? You got to get rid of Paul. That's probably the only other option you could have. But then Jesus even affirms uh, the, the, the marital relationship. I just wrote a paper this last week on um, the church's response to homosexuality, which is just such an easy paper to write. Um, but it's a lot of the same issues where you, you, you've got to go back to like, well, well, wait, where is this at? Where is that? It's all in the nuances. And I just was so much better for writing it. Oh, my, it was amazing. And I trust the scripture that much more. But when things are reaffirmed in the New Testament that were set in the Old Testament, it, it gives new life to it in a sense, especially when we're talking about Genesis, pre-fall. This is the way it was set up to be from the beginning. So we say, all right, we trust you, God. We believe you. 
Again, there's been abuse towards women, and, and um, God doesn't just accept using women. He desires uh, that they would be like flourish in ministry. It's not like, okay, they could, they could kind of do something. So for you ladies, like, I, like you, there's so many amazing opportunities to serve. Like there's just, that God wants to do so much more in all of us. Really, the, the restriction is top leadership under his, you know, guide, guidance and, and uh, mandate in a sense. Um, I, I, I was going to speak as to being under authority. Um, I had a really good relationship with uh, the last pastor I was under, um, Aaron, in Orange County. And he and I have been, to, we've been doing ministry together since I was like, 19 uh we're both from redlands and and just a really good relationship our our our, we go to camp together with them now and um i really liked being under his authority i didn't always agree with him he let me voice my opinions on stuff sometimes i would voice it very strongly and i push 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 at the end of the day he'd say no we're gonna do this and i go okay and i go home i'd sleep so well at night so when but there's a whole other thing when like you're the one that's got to make those decisions. Other people brings it up, and you're like thinking, because I go home and sleep well at night. He goes home and thinks, I wonder why I was pushing so hard on that. Am I making the right decision? Am I, I'm like, no, I'm going home, and I'm like, I'm out, you know? Something about authority that is, it's not like, it is a, it's, it's a privilege, yes, but it is such a responsibility. Sometimes Tori and I are like, I miss the days where it was just so simple. <laughs> You're just like, oh, you just go and you do your thing and you, all right, we're done, you know. Something about that authority keeps you up at night because you know, hey, look, God called you to something gnarly and all this and that. So, I, you know, all that to say, I greatly enjoyed being under good authority. I think it's amazing, you know. I, 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 if, if, if you find leadership and you're like under that leadership and you can trust it, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Pray for them, especially because they're taking arrows, like a lot of arrows, you know. Um, so, yeah. So here would be the most tech difficult verse here. Um, Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. All right, let's pray. Um, no, I'm kidding. We're going to do that. I actually think there's, there's a good explanation. I've, I've read a lot on the subject. Um, childbearing is such a unique role, um, and it's unique to women. It is an authority in its own sense to, to some degree. I mean, like, it's a, it is definitely a gift. It's an unbelievable gift being able to bring a child into the world. And, and the relationship that a mom and a child have is just like a dad. Like my kids, we don't get going for a couple of years. They're like, dad's cool, mom's the bomb, you know? And then all of a sudden they go, dad's actually is pretty cool. And you get a little bit older and they realize I'll th- if they want, I'll throw them really far onto the couch, you know, like and, and do dangerous things that mom says you shouldn't do and sometimes comes back to bite dad because hurt one of his children. Anyway, this happened recently. Um, But there's something so unique about that. um, And it's such an ordered thing. I think that's 
partially why. We gotta be careful how we address the culture, but the idea of trying to strip away how we were made is really, really rough. Because women are given an amazing position in childbearing. Um, and so it's, it's a gift to the world, and, um, and it is through women submitted to the authority of God, trusting his plan, right? That's where we see that the Messiah is born. You look at Genesis chapter 3. This is kind of how I see this context. You look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Fall just happened, and God's cursing the snake. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain. You shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So there's like a negative aspect, in a sense, right? Seemingly, right? He's going to rule over you. Uh, You're going to desire, though, what he's got. But there's also the positive aspect. You f- th- there was a fall, but the, the solution will be found through the seed of the woman. See, Jesus was not born of a man. He was born of a woman. So it was through, the ch- so uh, one of the, the uh, ancient ways of, or b- I think better ways of um, uh, defining this or, or breaking down the text, it would be saved in the childbearing. Um, that's the, not just in childbearing, but in the childbearing. So the idea, there's lots of different ideas. This is the one I think makes the most sense, uh, is that through the Messiah, women would be used as they're in order, doing what God has given them the unique ability, all of us in our order, in our authority, to bring forth the Messiah. And that was Mary. Right? She trusted God. She believed him. And then through her, here's born Jesus, the one, the snake crusher that would take it on. So um, lots of different ideas. We can't say that a woman will be saved uh, in childbearing if they continue faith, holiness, and love. Because there's been a lot of amazing women who've died in childbirth. So that's not what it means, right? And there's been a lot of wicked women who have delivered babies well. Right? So that, that's not, obviously not what it means. So we've got to kind of find out what it is in context. And I think since we're talking about order, this is a position of order. Complementarian. I love the idea of complementarianism. We're not trying to be each other. I can't be you. You can't be me. I'm not going to try to be you. You're not going to try to be me. I was made to be me. You were made to be you. What does it look like when we're trying to be someone else? It doesn't look good. It's fake. It's phony. Everyone can pick up on it from a mile away. You're not real. We can tell. So we stand in our unique authoritative positions that are under the order of God, and we thrive. We thrive in those positions. We have our place and God will use us greatly when we submit to him and his place and his order. That's the, that's the most beautiful thing. Like, you know, I have no desire to be Tori. Tori has no desire to be me. <laughs> but it's like we have a good contrast, you know, where, you know, it's just I like that. 
men and women have amazing contrasting gifts. I always, t- I always say that to her, like, if I, I don't know where I'd be without you, I'd be a mess. I was a mess. I would not talk to people probably very much or like I should. I was certainly not open up, you know, like she's like, what's wrong? No, really, what's wrong? No, really, what's wrong? No, really, what's wrong? And I'm thinking one more time. Just say it one more time. No, really, what's wrong? Okay, fine. I'll say it. So there's like that whole element of it. And there's parts of it and there's things that she sees. Women are amazing at creating beauty, Right? But the beauty is for the glory of God, not for themselves. Self-promotion. Doesn't mean like you, you didn't want to look beautiful. No, look beautiful. That's great. But why are you doing it? That's a good question. But they have that amazing ability to do that. Men have unique abilities too. God has set everyone in their place under his authority and order. And we can just rest in that. Because there's so much strife in trying to be something you're not. And it gets so confusing to follow a lie. And that's where we're at in society. How do we make sense of some of the things we're seeing in the world? How do you say that this is good for women when a a biological male is winning all the swimming meets? Can we just be who we are? Can we just find our place? And I'm not trying to be like, I'm not trying to harp on one thing over another thing. And I don't want to get super political on any of that. But there's something about we've lost our way in identity. We've lost our way in order. We've lost our way in authority to go, God tells me who I am. I have my identity in him. I don't need anyone else to give me anything else. I don't need to scrounge for pennies. I know who I am. And God will make that shine through wherever it is he's put you. Because you go, okay, well, I'll never be able to be a senior pastor of a church. Neither will most men. That's okay. I'll never be like the the head of our house. And listen, the men are supposed to love you like Christ loved the church. Do you sure you want that? You know, it's like, it's just a mix, you know? Uh, and if a man's authoritative and they're wrong, they need to come and they're, they're taking it and like they think they're God of the world. They're, that is wrong. It's mutually submissive in a sense with an order of leadership. So he says, through this, through you standing and doing what you've been created to do in order, you follow him, trust him. And if they continue, he says this right here. So through the childbearing, if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with self-control. What a great description of what Christianity looks like. Faith, love, holiness, self-control. So obviously, it's not just childbearing that's going to bring about salvation. It's going to be being a Christian. But what's going to help you in following Jesus is knowing who you are. Identity is everything. Who does God say I am and how do I rest in that? As opposed to like kicking against the goads. You know what? Sometimes there's a lot of things in life that just, they are not going to end up being fair. Like why did that happen then? Or why did this happen now? We don't know what to do with that. Say, all right, God, what do you have me to do here now with what I have in front of me, the resources around me? So um, hopefully that made sense. I know there's a really, it's a lot there. Um, If you have any more questions, I'd love to talk 
with you afterwards. Um, and if I don't know the answer, I will be humble and honest, and I will <laughs> get back to you on that. But um, I don't know. I'm always reassured, because I, I, I was looking. I knew this text was coming. I'm like, this is going to be a fun one to research. Uh, but I'm always so reassured at the end of it all, after doing that, re- I'm just like, God, you just know, and you're in charge, and we can rest in that. And we don't have to make everything make sense with the world around us because the world doesn't make sense with the world around us. So we got to submit to him, the one who's the author and the finisher of our faith, the one who set it all into motion, the one who's going to complete it, the one who's going to win in the end. The best is yet to come. So we just play our little part in the small blip of eternity that we have here on earth Play the part God has given you to play and do it well. And we can enjoy that. We have the elements here. If you'd like to grab, um, grab a uh, um, cup, it's got the, um, the wafer and um, the, uh, the grape juice there for you. And you can take it back. And even as we worship in this song, you can take it back with you and just spend some time with the Lord. And I think, I think for me, one of the main things is, is, is Lord, where have I usurped your authority? Where have I not trusted your guidance? And, and to, to confess and go, where have I decided I'm not, you, I know better, or, you know, I've, I've got, but to come under the submission of, God, if you said it, I just want to believe it and, and trust you and, and go where you want me to go with this. And so, um, yeah, I think that's a good place to start this morning. Lord, thank you so much for this time and this um, Lord, we thank you. We can trust you. Like, we don't have a brittle faith. It's, it has been tried to be disproved for thousands of years. And, you know, 